And they come again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, there come to him chief priests and the scribes and the elders, and say unto him, By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority to do these things? And Jesus answered and said unto them, I will also ask you one question, and answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or of men? Answer me. And they reasoned with themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But if we shall say of men, they feared the people, for all men counted John that he was a prophet indeed. And they answered and said unto Jesus, We cannot tell. And Jesus answering saith unto them, Neither do I tell you by what authority I do these things. And we'll stop reading for the moment there. And this morning we're going to be looking at um, the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, King Jesus. And in chapter 11, Jesus enters into Jerusalem. And he comes in riding... um, he comes in riding on the, the colt, which uh, symbolizes the kingship of the Lord Jesus. It was prophesied in Zechariah chapter number 9 that King Jesus will come in riding on the colt. And so King Jesus comes in and he looks around the temple as prophesied in Malachi. And in the fulfillment of Malachi 3.1, he enters the temple and inspects it. And the next day he comes in and pronounces judgment. Jesus said the temple had become a den of thieves. It was a barren fig tree, judged and withered to the roots. That the worship that was going on in the temple was vain. And that the the men who were leading the worship and the people who were supposed to be teaching the scriptures were actually robbing people, robbing God of glory and robbing people of their their gifts unto the altar. It had become a place where people thought they could go and cover up all the sins that they were committing, not because of the grace of God, but just through their acts of, of sacrifice and the things that they did. They had turned the righteousness of God into unrighteousness. And so now Jesus is teaching in the temple. Um, the, and the next day, he had, already, um, he had already upset the chief priests because in verse 18 of chapter 11, the scribes and the chief priests heard it and saw how they might destroy him. For they feared him because all the people were astonished at his doctrine. So they hear Jesus They hear his condemnation of their practices. Did they repent? No, they didn't repent. They got mad and they started plotting how they could murder him. This is the heart of the leaders here, that they're trying to murder the Lord Jesus because he has convicted them of their sins. And so that, that sort of introduces what's happening here in verse number 27. He comes back to Jerusalem And these chief priests who saw Jesus come in and inspect the temple, who saw him ride in on the colt, who heard him pronounce that he quoted scripture, pronouncing 
the temple as a den of thieves, which carried along with it that they, they were corrupt and they were not trusting in the Lord. He comes back and they say, well, who do you think you are doing these things? Who gave you the authority to come in here in the temple to speak in such a way? Who gave you the authority to come into our realm, our place of authority, and judge us and condemn us and try to teach us something? And so they didn't question what Jesus said. They said, well, who, said, who even gave you the right to come here and say this? Who pronounced you king? Who, who pronounced you a teacher? You're not one of us. You're not in our group. Who do you think you are coming in here and teaching like this? Well, Jesus answered and said, I'll answer you, but only if you answer my question. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or was it from men? Answer me. So the first point we want to look at this morning is this authority is challenged. The authority of Christ is challenged by these, um, these elders, the chief priests, the people who were in charge. And so they said, who do you think you are coming in here and telling us that we are wrong? And Jesus says, okay, I'll tell you who gave me the authority if you tell me if John's baptism was from heaven or men. Now, it wasn't a hard question to answer. It was a hard pill to swallow. Because they knew the answer to the question. Everyone knew the answer to the question. That John's baptism was from heaven. You can read in the other Gospels that these same people sent representatives to, to John when he was baptizing the wilderness to find out what he was doing. They sent him to find out, if he were, are you the Christ? Who are you down here baptizing? And John... His answer was always the same. I am not the Christ. I am the forerunner. I have come to make a people ready for the Lord. I have come to announce the Christ. I'm not the Christ, but I'll point you to him. So they knew what John's message was. They knew that John was sent from God. And that his baptism and his message was not something that was a carryover from the Old Testament. It wasn't something that John just invented. It wasn't something that was authorized and commissioned by the temple. This was something that God instituted. He was sent from God with this message and with this mission. And they knew that. But the problem they had was answering the question. Because if they said John's baptism was from heaven, then Jesus will say, then why didn't you listen to him? If you believe that John was doing something authorized by God, why didn't you listen to what John said about baptism? Why didn't you listen to what John said about me? But if they say, well, it's of men, they knew that they would get it from the people. Because everybody believed John was a prophet. And they feared what their parishioners would say. Now you've got, 
It's a little bit of irony here if you think about it that these are the men that come in there with all their bravado. And who do you think you are challenging us? We are the chief priests. We are the elders. We're the people who run this place. Who gave you the authority to come in here and tell us that we're wrong? And Jesus asked a simple question, and what do they do? Well, we can't say that because the people will get mad at us. So on one hand, they're condemning Jesus because they said we're the ones in charge here. And then when Jesus asked the question, so I can't say that we can't say the truth because then the people will get mad at us. They were they were both concerned with their power and authority, but also wanted to keep it by pleasing the people. They couldn't say the truth because then they'd have to be consistent and believe the whole truth. And that includes John's ministry to point the way to the Lord and that Lord being Jesus Christ. But they couldn't tell the lie that would undermine Jesus because of what the people would say. They didn't have a problem lying, as we see right here. They don't have a problem with that. But they, they don't want to undermine their influence with the people. They want to keep the people happy. So they said, we can't tell. We, we don't know. It's a mystery. When Jesus said, well, if you can't tell me, I won't tell you by what authority I do these things. And so Jesus begins to tell a parable in chapter number 12. So the chapter 12 might um, think that this is starting a new topic, but it's really the same thing. They, Jesus said, I don't tell you by what authority I do these things. And he began to speak unto them by parables. So this is a continuation of that answer. So Jesus said, I can't tell you by what authority, but let me tell you a story. A certain man planted a vineyard and set a hedge about it and digged a place for the wine fat and built a tower and left it out to the husband and went to a far country. And at the season, he sent the husband and a servant that he might receive from the husbandman the fruit of the vineyard. And they caught him and beat him and sent him away empty. And again, he sent unto another servant. They cast stones and wounded him in the head and sent him away shamefully handled. And again they sent another, and him they killed, and many others, beating some and killing some. Having yet therefore one son, his well-beloved, he sent him also last unto them, saying, They'll they'll reverence my son. But those husbandmen said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance shall be ours. And they took him and killed him and cast him out of the vineyard. What shall therefore the Lord of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the husbandman and give the vineyard unto others. So a man planted the vineyard, built a winery. He fenced it in, built a watchtower for it. A nice setup. And then he leased it to tenant farmers. So he, he leased it out, and he went on a journey. Well, at harvest time, the owner sent one of his servants back to the farm to receive his portion of the grapes. So, you know, this may have been years down the road. So 
he sends the people back. He sends the servants back and say, hey, I want my portion. Well, the farmers caught the servant and beat him and sent him back home empty-handed. So the servant comes back and he's beaten and bloodied and the owner said, what happened? Well, I went and told them to give you what to do and they beat me and sent me away. Well, the owner no doubt was displeased and maybe he thought there was a mistake, I don't know, so he sent another servant. Well, this servant comes and they throw rocks at him, knocked him in the head, treated him shamefully. So just go on back and don't come back anymore. So the servant goes back to the master and tells him, the owner, and he says, you know, I couldn't even get close there. They hit me in the head. They mocked me. They called me all sorts of names. Well, he sent another servant. And one after that, and one after that. And they beat some, and then they killed some. So now you have this sort of uh, insurrection on the farm. These tenant farmers are not going to listen to anybody. They said, this is our place now. And you just stay out of our little domain. This is our farm. And you're not going to get any of the, the fruit. Well, the owner said they don't respect my servants. But... They'll listen to my son. They know my one well-beloved son. They'll respect and reverence him, and I'll send him. And I'm not going to send any more servants. I'm going to send my own son. Well, when the son gets there, they talk amongst themselves and say, this is the heir. Let's kill him, and then we'll just take it off. The inheritance will be ours. So they killed him, threw the body out of the vineyard. So Jesus asked a rhetorical question. I mean, this is a pretty vicious story, isn't it, that, that these farmers are just uh, are, are barbarians. And Jesus said, what would the Lord of the vineyard do? What would you do? What would you do in that situation? Well, obviously, you take the side of the owner. These are murderous thieves who killed his only son. And Jesus said, so what's going to happen is the owner of the vineyard is going to come back and he's going to take vengeance. And he's going to destroy those farmers. He's going to come in and he's going to put an end to these men. Justice is going to come. He's going to take the vineyard they so prized and then somebody, he's going to give it to somebody else. Well, verse 10 is the punchline. Have you not read the scripture? The stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. So Jesus quotes Psalm 118 that we sang before the message. They knew what Jesus was getting at. In verse 12, and they sought to lay hold of him, but feared the people, for they knew that he had spoken this parable against them, and they left him and went their way. They got the reference. They probably had been identifying with the landowner, because that's what we do when we hear a story. We usually identify with the, the hero 
And you know, you read, you can read the Old Testament. You'll identify with the the person who does right, and you'll see the enemy as your enemy. That's probably what they were doing. Until they got to the punchline and realized they were not on the side of the owner. Jesus was saying they were the tenant farmers. God had put them in a position as priests and elders to be to serve the people, to serve God by blessing the people. The temple was not the house of the priest. It was the house of God. God was to be worshipped there. God was to be lifted up there. But these elders and scribes and chief priests had come into God's house like they owned the place, talking about authority and talking about power and talking about who do you think you are coming in here. And so Jesus quotes Psalm 118, the stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. The Messiah had come. The king had come. The son had come. Earlier in Mark 11, when Jesus came riding in on that colt that I mentioned earlier, you know what they were singing? They are singing Psalm 118. Hosanna, they cried. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, they cried out unto God from Psalm 118. Here comes the king. Hosanna, save us, we pray. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that has come in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus said, yes, Psalm 118 is true, but so is the 22nd verse of that, or so is the rest of that verse. The stone, which the builders thought was useless, which the builders thought should just be thrown away, which the builders rejected, that stone ends up being the cornerstone, the foundation stone. The priest knew it, but that builders rejected. Whose authority did Jesus come by? This is the Lord's doing. Not the priest's authority. Not uh, sanctioned by these men. But here is the Son of God. And it was marvelous in the eyes of the people. They were the farmers. They were the builders who rejected the cornerstone. They are the ones who are opposed to God's will. They are opposed to God's plan. They are on the side of Satan. They are on the side of the seed of the serpent. The text says it, and they know it. It was a direct hit. And they wanted to, they wanted to lay hold on him, arrest him. But again, they feared the people. And so they just left Jesus and went away. The leaders, the chief priests, the scribes, the elders, those people who knew the scriptures, they should have been serving God by leading the people to know God, both use the people and fear the people. They go against truth, they go against conscience to maintain their power and authority and money. So they come strutting in here, going to challenge the authority of Jesus. And Jesus flips it on them. To show them, you think this is your house? You think religion is about 
um, what you want and your power and your authority. No, you have rejected the way of the Lord. You have rejected God. And you have turned my house into a den of thieves. So there's the authority challenged. Well, starting verse 13, we have some authoritative teaching by the king. So Jesus comes in as the king, shows that he has come from God. And now we're going to see his his teaching as as the son of God. And the rest of the chapter centers around Jesus' teaching. And there's several sections of Jesus being attacked by his enemies. Now, we could spend a long time going through very particular, you know, very particularly in these things, but looking at it from a big picture, each person in each of these scenarios is attacking Jesus. They all had a common bond, their hatred of, of the Lord. And so in verse 13, it says, They send unto him certain Pharisees of the Herodians to catch him in his words. So the chief priest leaves and says, Okay, we're going to try a different attack. They failed on challenging his authority and say, Okay, well, if he says he's got authority of God, if he says he's a teacher, well, let's just see how he holds up. And so the first attack is the Pharisees and the Herodians. In verse 14, and when they were come, they say unto him, Master, we know that thou art true and carest for no man. For thou regardest not the person of men, but thou teachest the way of God and truth. Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? Shall we give or shall we not give? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said unto them, Why tempt ye me? Bring me a penny that I may see it. And they brought it, and he saith unto them, Whose image and superscription? They said unto him, Caesar's. And Jesus answering and said unto them, Render Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. The Pharisees and the Herodians were an odd pairing. Jason Meyer said the Pharisees were a religious purity group. They wanted to keep God's law. They wanted to stay pure. They didn't want to be kicked out of the land. They wanted Herod and the Romans out of Israel. The Herodians were a political group. They supported Herod and they supported the Romans. These two people couldn't agree on anything except their need to get rid of Jesus. This would be like the the Democrats and the Republicans coming together in their common on one thing or anything, right? You can't think of any more polarized group in our society just about than those two groups. And then they come together. The only reason they would come together is if there was one thing that they hated more than one another. They were enemies. They looked at the world completely different ways. But the enemy of my enemy is my friend sort of thing. They come together and they're going to try to entangle Jesus in a political controversy to get him in trouble. So they come and flatter him. Oh, master, master, teacher, we know that you don't care anything about what men have to say. We know that you're true, which may even refer to divinity. They didn't say you, you say true things, but they said we know you are true. 
We know you're bold and we don't and you don't care about man's opinions. You'll stick to the truth regardless. And, the, and what they're hoping that they're doing here is putting backing Jesus in a corner to where Jesus is going to say that what he believes. And what they're thinking is, once they flatter him and say, we know that you would never lie, that they're going to back him in a corner where he's going to have to answer their question. And regardless of what he says, they think he's going to be, he's going to be trapped. The question was whether it was lawful to pay the tribute tax to Caesar. They, they thought they had forked Jesus. So like in chess, whenever one of your pieces is attacking two of your opponent's pieces at the same time, they're, they're trapped. You know, one of the pieces is going to get it taken because one piece is attacking both at the same time. And that's what they thought, that they, they had him forked, that if Jesus says, well, yes, you have to pay tribute, then... People will say, well, he's a Roman sympathizer, he's a Herodian, he's not a true uh, Jew. Or if he says, well, no, you don't pay into Caesar, then they'll say, well, he's starting a rebellion. He's trying to go against the government. Well, Jesus knew their wickedness and their craftiness and their hypocrisy. He said, why do you tempt me? He saw right through their plan. He said, let me see a coin. And they handed him one. He said, whose picture is on this coin? I said, well, that's Caesar's. Okay, well, then give to Caesar the things that belong to him, and then give to God the things that belong to him. And they marveled, because they'd never encountered a man with such wisdom and understanding. He said, if this coin's got Caesar's image in it, then that's his domain. That's his realm. Caesar has authority because God gave it to him. He's got his picture on the money, so that's his realm. Give him what's due. But you need to give God what is his due. And what's God's realm? Well, God's realm is everything. They were thinking, small, Jesus said, God rules this world. You give him what is due. And what is due him is not dishonesty and hypocrisy and craftiness and political maneuvering and power plays and trying to trap someone into some wicked scheme to murder them. And so he wasn't trapped after all. He turned the tables on them and they went away. So he defeated the Pharisees and the Herodians. Next comes the Sadducees. Then come in him the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection. And they ask him saying, Master, Moses wrote unto us, if a man's brother die and leave his wife behind and leave no children, that his brother should take his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Now there were seven brethren, and the first took a wife, dying, left no seed, and the second took her and died and left he any seed, and the third likewise, and the seven had her and no seed. Last of all, the woman died also. In the resurrection, therefore, when they shall rise, whose wife shall she be of them? For the seven had her to wife. Now the Sadducees were your liberal theologians of the day. They knew the Bible, they just didn't believe it. It was all fables and moral stories. They said there was no resurrection, they didn't believe in angels, there was no supernatural power. They're just secularists, garbed in religion. So, 
I say they're liberal theologians. You can find liberal churches who say that they're Christians, but they deny the power of God. They deny the accuracy of Scripture. They deny the reliability of Scripture. They don't even believe it. They talk about the Bible as being myth. They, they talk and question whether uh, what the Scripture says is even true. They say, well, yes, the Bible says that, but you have to understand these people don't know as much as we do and, and just deny the supernatural element of, of the Scripture. So the Sadducees were that kind of people. Why they wanted to hold on to the, the Bible when they didn't believe it, I don't know. I don't know why people want to be called Christians when they don't believe in Christianity. But that's who the Sadducees were. And so they start asking this theological question. They also call him master, but they don't have any intention of hearing him or learning from him. So, I mean, they call him teacher, but the only reason they're doing this was to, uh, to trap him. They're not going to listen to what he has to say. And so they come and they ask a question about uh, Leverite marriage. And that's just where if a man dies... He leaves behind a wife with no children. The law required his brother to marry the woman, and so forth. Well, why would you do that? Well, first, it was to protect the woman. Um, you know, if, if she dies and, she, and her husband protected her and kept her in these days, well, then, you know, how is she going to live? And also, the inheritance went to the man. So if this man had an inheritance and the man died, what's going to happen to the inheritance that came from the Lord? So the law says, well, the, the brother would come and, and marry her, and then she would have children. The inheritance would stay in the family. The name would continue on. And, and this was God's way of protecting both the inheritance of, of the family and also to protect the woman. This is one of the big pop, plot points in the book of Ruth with the, the kinsman redeemer. Well, these guys, these smart guys, smart alecks, they, they thought they devised a clever trap for Jesus. So in one sense, they're mocking the law and the idea of the afterlife. It's just a big game to them. Well, Jesus tells them they're wrong because they're ignorant of the scriptures. You, you think you know the scriptures? You're ignorant of them from front to back. So Jesus says, you're asking me a theological question, but you don't know the Bible. Your problem is you don't know the scripture and you don't believe in the power of God. And then you're asking me a question about something you don't even believe in. You're not asking me in good faith. You're not asking me to learn. You call me master, but you're not wanting to learn. You're asking a foolish question about something you don't even believe in. But your whole problem is you don't know God and you don't know the Bible. So Jesus didn't try to find common ground or, or deal with them on their grounds. He said, no, you just don't understand the Bible. You're supposed to know. You're supposed to be theologians, but you don't even know the, the simple things of the Bible. He said, first of all, resurrected saints won't marry. They'll be like the angels in heaven. It's a foolish question. So marriage is a temporary earthly institution. The Bible doesn't teach eternal marriage. Some people believe that, but that's, that's not in the scripture. 
You might say, well, that's a sad thing because I love my spouse and I want to, to be married in heaven. Well, what is waiting for us is better than marriage. Our earthly marriage is a picture of the, our heavenly union with Christ. And the new creation is not going to be worse. It's going to be better. So don't get sad and you say, well, I, you know, this is better. No, as good, just think as good as marriage is, it's better. Uh, it's going to be better. What God has in store for us is going to be better. And so he says, your first concept is that you don't understand um, the afterlife or the resurrection. The second thing you don't understand is the scripture. Have you not ever read how Moses spake in the burning bush, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? God is the God of the living. The living God is the God of the living. He's not the God of corpses. So those who die go on to be with the Lord. They are, they are with the Lord of the living. Barnes said Abraham and Isaac and Jacob had been dead a long time when Moses had spoke this. Abraham had been dead for 329 years, Isaac for 224 years, and Jacob 198. Yet God spake as them still being their God. They must therefore be somewhere. Still living, for God is not the God of the dead. It is absurd to say God rules over those who are annihilated. But he is the God of only those who have existence. So Abraham, he is the God of Abraham. He is the God of Isaac and of Jacob. And Jesus said, if you knew the scriptures, you'd understand this. But you don't know the Bible, so you, you greatly err. Jesus makes a point about God that it may not have occurred to Moses, but we know there's two authors of Scripture, a divine and human author. And this small grammatical point about the tense of, of a word, one word, one tense, one little grammatical point in a sentence, Jesus says is enough to prove to us about the state of the dead God's covenant to Israel, the souls of men, and the resurrection. All in the tense of the word be. The, tr the scriptures are true down to the, even the tense of the word. And so Jesus points this out and says, you just don't know your Bible. That's not a, a difficult question. That's not some um, great trap that you've presented. It's a foolish thing for you to say. Well, next up is the scribes. And one of the scribes came, having heard them reason together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. It's the first commandment. And the second is like it, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said unto him, Well, master, thou hast said the truth. For there is one God, and there is none other but he. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, with all thy soul, with all the strength, is to love his neighbor as himself. 
is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. And no man after that durst ask him any questions. So the scribe, one of the scribes had been listening to all this, and he comes to Jesus without any designs or traps, and he said, Master, which one is the first commandment? And he told him, he quoted Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 11. He said, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Then he quotes Leviticus 19.18, to love your neighbor as yourself. It wasn't the, the food laws. It wasn't, you know, and they accused Jesus in chapter 2 of Mark of breaking the Sabbath. That wasn't the greatest commandment. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Then they accused him of tradition and breaking the food laws and not washing his hands in chapter 7. They, they battled over marriage and divorce, the civil law, paying tribute to Caesar. The Leverite laws of Deuteronomy, of who marries who and what, all these things they were very concerned about, very particular about. They didn't want to, to offend in the least of all these laws. But you know one thing you don't ever hear them talk about? Loving God. Or loving their neighbor. Isn't that funny how the scribes and the Pharisees so particular about all these things? But they, they leave the weightier things undone. Well, the scribe hears that and Jesus, he agrees with Jesus. He said, you're right, there is only one God. And to love God with all your soul and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is more than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. So this scribe answered wisely, discreetly. He didn't say, what's people going to think of me if I say this? What will people say if I agree with Jesus? But he stopped and thoughtfully and wisely and carefully considered what Jesus said according to the scriptures, and he has submitted to the authority of God. He desi God desires mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings, it says in Hosea 6. Jesus had come into the temple and condemned the temple as a den of thieves. He, he told them, the, that he told them that their, their sacrifices were of nothing, of no value by putting all the animals out. I think the scribe had put this together. They asked him about the law, and he said, you know, the, it's not the sacrifices that we come into this temple that is the most important thing because this is a temporary thing pointing to Christ. When we think of the law, it is this is the law, loving God and loving your neighbor. These ceremonies are temporary. They're only here for a time until it is fulfilled. And I think the scribe is starting to put this together. And that's why Jesus said he was not far from the kingdom. Or not far from understanding the gospel of the kingdom. The way of salvation was not through the law. Jesus isn't saying, well, if you do a little bit more of the law, you'll be saved. He said, no, you're starting to understand 
that this whole system, this old covenant system, has come to an end. There's not going to be any more temple. There's not going to be any more sacrifices because I'm going to fulfill all this. Well, nobody asked him any questions after that. So Jesus keeps on teaching. And he answered and said, while he taught in the temple, how say the scribes that Christ is the son of David? For David himself, by the Holy Ghost, the Lord said to my Lord, sit thou on thy right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. David, therefore, himself calleth his, him Lord. And whence is he then his son? And the common people heard him gladly. And he said unto them in his doctrine, Beware of the scribes, which love to go in long clothing and love salutations in the marketplaces and the chief seats in the synagogue and the uppermost room of the feast, which devour widows' houses for a pretense, make long prayers. These shall receive greater damnation. And Jesus sat over against the treasury and behold, and beheld how the people cast money in the treasury and many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor woman, and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. And he called unto them his disciples, and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which hath cast in the treasury. For all they did cast of their own abundance, but she of her own want cast in all that she had, even her living. So Jesus commanded, or commended the scribe for his thoughtful answer about the law. Then he he condemns the scribes as a class. How do the scribes say that Christ is the son of David? David said by the Holy Spirit, the Lord said to my Lord. Well, Jesus is quoting Psalm 110 and he attributes it to David, the human author, and the Holy Spirit as the divine author. So Jesus asked what the scribes said about Christ, the son of David, compared to what the scriptures say about it. Okay, the scribes are supposed to be the Bible teachers. They're supposed to be the ones that have all the authority. They're the ones that are concerned about about authority and about the Bible. What do the scribes say about this? You compare what the scribes say about the scripture to what the scripture says about Christ. The scripture said that David called his descendant Lord. Now, a king is the king until he dies. His descendant isn't his Lord ever. The king is the sovereign for the rest of his life. So how would David call his descendant his Lord? That doesn't make any sense. Well, it works because Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, is the only begotten of the Father. That the son of David is the son of man and the son of God. The Christ is David's Lord because the Christ is divine. So Jesus said, yes, there is one God, but the son of David is David's Lord. How is that? How is there one God and that Christ is Lord? How is the Lord said to his Lord? Because there is one God almighty and three persons. There is one God and in, the, and in the, the Godhead, there are three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So there's not three gods, there's one God. There's not three almighties, there's one almighty. 
Uh, the Father is not begotten. The Son is begotten of the Father, and the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. This is what Jesus is, is explaining here from the Old Testament. The Messiah is not a son of David, but the only son. Well, the common people heard this, and they were glad. And so Jesus warned them about the scribes. The scribes loved to wear long clothes that set them apart. They loved to sit in the VIP sections of the, in the upper room, the balcony seats. When they went to the synagogue, they had the chief seats. They fe- sat facing the people in the synagogue. They had the authority to answer the questions. They spake the word. People saw them walking down the streets and said, well, there's a scribe. Look how he's dressed. They walk into the feast, and they're up in the balcony away from everybody. Well, there's the scribes in the VIP section. They walk into the synagogue. Well, there's the scribes up front. Um, they're, the, they're the ones that have the Bible. They're the ones that know everything. Jesus said, you beware of these men. He said, because their long prayers and their devotions, their vain repetitions was a pretense. It was a Trojan horse. It was a way to conceal what they were really up to. It was a disguise. It was a cloak. As they prayed, they prayed on devout people. Especially the poor and the desperate to take everything they had. Jesus said they want to be chief. They want to be the ones in charge. But remember with that parable, they're the tenants. The prophets came and they killed the prophets. John the Baptist came and they didn't want to hear John the Baptist. He was put to death. Over and over and over again, God sent prophets to tell Israel and they would not hear. Then God sent his only begotten son. They say, here's the son. Here's the heir. Let's kill him. Jesus said, you got to beware of these men. They don't love God. They hate God. They don't love their neighbor. They hate their neighbor because they prey on widows. And so as we wrap this up, usually we might think of this last section verses 41 through 44, as Jesus talking about giving. But that'd be weird, wouldn't it, to be talking about all the way back in chapter 11, that he inspects the, king, the temple, the fig tree representing Israel is, is cursed and withered up. He calls the, the temple worship uh, become a, a den of thieves. Then he, he, cha- he answers the challenge of the chief priests, the Pharisees, the scribes, all these people challenging his authority, and then you get, well, here's a section on, on giving. Well, no, what's, what's going on here? Well, Jesus says this, that these priests are preying on the people, that they're there not for their good, but to, to take from them. Not to point them to God, but to rob them. So Jesus was sitting against, and he watches these people put in their money, and they're Rich people put in a whole lot. And here comes this poor widow, and she throws in two mites, a penny. And Jesus said, this woman put in more than everybody else. Well, how is that? How is a penny more than $100 or $1,000? How, how is that? Because that's all she had. She gave everything, basically her whole life. So this woman presumably gave out a devotion to God. And she loved God and loved, and loved the worship of God. Remember the rich young ruler 
He went away sad because Jesus told him to sell everything he had and give to the poor. Here's this poor woman who literally gave everything that she had. The Pharisees and the Herodians wanted to know, well, can we give to Caesar or not? We don't want to do something with our... Here's this woman just gives it all. And this little scene here caps the judgment of the temple. The scribes had turned the worship of God into a way of enriching themselves. And they watched as this poor woman gave everything that she owned, and they robbed her, devouring her, hating her, and God in the process. They denied the truth about John the Baptist because they feared the people. They fussed and worried about political issues, using scripture to gain power and influence. They worried about paying taxes and not serving the Lord. They didn't suppose the scriptures taught the truth, and they they didn't submit to the, the authority of Scripture. They didn't know the Bible. They didn't submit to the Bible. They worried more about their own authority than the king had come. And out of pretense, they called him a master. And out of pretense, they made long prayers. And out of pretense, they, they worshiped God and led the people. All that they could rob them. They feared the people. Because that's where they were getting their money. They pretended like they were devout, but it was all a sham. They prayed their prayers, they did their service, they offered their sacrifice, but they did not love God. They believed they were superior to everyone else because they had the truth, they thought. And they kept the law, they thought. They didn't even know the first commandment. And when Jesus comes as King and Messiah and Christ and prophet and shows he's the only way to God, the only one that keeps the law, the only one way to God, the only sacrifice, the only lamb of God, the greater priest after the order of Melchizedek, he shows that he is greater than the temple. They say, away with this man. Away with him. We must kill him because he stands in the way of our power. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth, expecting to his enemies be made his footstool. Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, had come to offer himself as a sin sacrifice. This temple system had become corrupt because the people did not love God. And here's the Lamb of God condemning it and saying, I will fulfill it. This is the best that man can do, and it is a den of thieves. You broke the covenant. You cannot have salvation this way. I am the only way unto God. I am the only way through salvation. I will die for your sins. I will keep the law. I will be the sacrifice. I will be your priest. I will be your way into God. Come unto me and have life. You see all the religious people, all they saw was, he's going to take what's mine. We have to kill him. How do you... How do you Come to the authority of God this morning. Do you hear the word of God? Do you hear the word of Christ? Do you submit to him? Or do you hear the Bible and say, well, I know that's what it says, but that's going to get in the way of my life. No, hear the word of God and submit to him.